0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the last show of 2022, episode 37, Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. And what we're going to do in this episode is we're going to relive what I thought was the greatest interview of the year, the greatest guest of the year. It's going to be Bill Clement, and this was right after he went into the Hockey Hall of Fame. And Bill was such an interesting guest. We know Bill's a great orator. A guy who tells great stories and can communicate himself incredibly well. And in this interview, you'll hear in just a second, he does exactly that. So we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, We'll talk about the Flyers prior and the win last night against the San Jose Sharks uh, briefly as well. But let me tell you about Bet Parks because it's the end of the year and a great time at this time of year with all the bowl games, uh, college football, pro football, pro hoops, college hoops, hockey, you name it. Futures Playoffs are on the way In football It's a great time to get on the Bet Parks app And get uh, in on the action Because you're going to have a blast Because it's not just Hey, get your action in before the game And then watch it It's much more than that It's actually live in-game betting Same-game parlays It's player performances Props, teasers, parlays You name it It's all there for you Like I said You've also got Futures and all kinds of stuff Great stuff as well Excuse me. I had to cough. Uh, so get in on the action with the Bet Parks app. It's fantastic. Download it today. Use the promo code Jason750. That'll get your risk-free bet up to $750. Again, risk-free bet, new and existing users, $750 by uh, just using that promo code Jason750 on the BetParks app. Terms and conditions do apply. So download the app immediately, if not sooner. Uh, Download the Bet Parks app today. You yeah, got to be over 21 present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey gambling problem. Call 1 800 gambler. Now, we're also getting down to the end of the year for Conquerville Subaru because you still have time. You got a couple days left, all the way up till January 3rd for the Subaru Share the Love event. Now, Conquerville Subaru on Route 202 in Glen Mills, fantastic dealership. So get down there for the Subaru Share the Love event because this is great. If every new vehicle sold, Subaru is going to donate $250 for every new car sold. To one of five charities, and you get to choose either the ASPCA, Make a Wish, Meals on Wheels, Nation's Parks, and Conquerville Subaru's hometown charities, which is Namor's Children's Hospital of Delaware. Fantastic, fantastic charity to be a part of as well. December, great, t- and, and January coming up is a great time to visit that beautiful showroom on Route 202 in Glen Mills. Oh man, we're heading to the holiday season, or we're kind of wrapping up the holiday season. Check out the certified pre owned inventory and pick from a list of incoming Subaru vehicles as well. It is Concordville Subaru, more than a dealership, great service department. And they also have a, a free car wash with every service visit. So visit ConcordvilleSubaru.com online and check out the showroom of Route 202 in Glen Mills. And remember that Concordville cares. So Flyers get the win last night over San Jose in overtime. Their first overtime win. I think they're 1-7 like in, in overtimes. They get the win on Tony D'Angelo's game winner. He had two assists in the game as well. Travis Konechny, boom, two goals. In the game, his fourth straight multi point game of the season. Four straight for Konechny. And I mean, the numbers on his game log are eye popping. So he's played in 30 games this season. He's got 10 multi point games. He only has seven games this season where he has zero points. So he's got points in 23 of the 30 games he's played. And the four straight multi point games, which he accomplished last night, is now a career high streak of multi point games. In his last 21 games, he's got 25 points, 12 goals, 13 assists, uh, two three power play goals, or two power play goals, excuse me, eight even strength goals, and two shorthanded goals. Talk about an all situations player over that stretch. I mean think about that. Only two on the power play, eight to five on five where ninety percent of the game is played, and then two shorthanded all situations, up a goal, down a goal. He's having an unbelievable season. I think the biggest job of Torts was two things, was to develop young players and find out what they are at the NHL. Guys like Tippett, guys like Frost, guys like Cates. But the other big part of the job in front of Torts for the season was seeing if he could get guys like Konechny, Provorov, pointed in the right direction again. And boy, has it worked. Huge for Travis Connecticut. Now, he's got to keep it going. He's only played 30 games, not even at the midway point of the season. It's still a relatively small sample size, all things considered. But, boy, is he having a great first half. No doubt about that. So, that's a good thing. Flyers will be back tomorrow. They'll take on the Los Angeles Kings for New Year's Eve. Monday, they'll wrap up this uh, road trip in Anaheim. And then they'll be back at Wells Fargo Center coming up on Thursday to take on Arizona. And then I think it's a week from Sunday is Toronto comes into town. That's always a good game to go watch. So that's what's coming up on the docket for the Flyers. And we're going to have a great 2023 here on Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. We're going to have great guests, great hockey conversation, and much more. But let's get to our interview of the year of 2022. The Hall of Fame class this year had two connections to Philadelphia. One was Al Morgani, who also appeared, did a great appearance here on Stick to Hockey Live. And then this gentleman, Bill Clement, Bill is a great guy to talk to, and I think everybody's going to enjoy this interview if you missed it. So, let's get right now to it. Here is from episode 20, right after Bill Clement went into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Conversation with the legendary broadcaster player and pundit of hockey, Mr. Bill Clement. Here it is. All right, let's get to the man of the hour right now. Well, he was the man of the hour last week, but we're giving him another hour. He's coming to us just... In retirement, looking savvy, looking good. A man who played in 11 NHL seasons, two cups, was a captain in the NHL, has the distinction of playing for the Atlanta Flames and the Calgary Flames. He's a broadcast legend, a hockey legend. It is Bill Clement. How are you, Billy?
1: Jason, I'm, I haven't had a bad day in a long time, to be honest with you. You know, things <laughs> life is good. Life is very good. Thank you. Your hockey journey is
0: Fantastic. It's got so many, uh, you know, tentacles of the branch. You have this hub of the game, and you have all these hockey tentacles that come out. What, what's the last week been like for Bill Clement? Unique.
1: Um, I I guess I'm only going to get to go on the Hockey Hall of Fame once, so it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And being in Toronto with, well, there were, there were 20 of us. Um, relatives brother wife son daughter cousins um it was such a it was such a fulfilling experience um i'm still kind of pinching myself that the, the call that i got a couple of months ago telling me that i was going into the hall it caught me completely by surprise i i've never once in my life thought of it um as my brother said he was the first call that i made when i got the news that i was going into the hockey hall of fame and my wife and i my wife sissy and i are very close to pete and nora my brother-in-law and his wife and at one point they were really happy obviously they were just tickled pink like i was that i was going into the hockey hall of fame and there was a lull in the conversation and at one point my brother said you know bill I always knew your hands would never get you into the hockey hall of fame, but I thought your silver tongue might give you a chance. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually used that in my acceptance speech because he was sitting right there. It's something only your brother can say and get away with. But you man, I mean it was funnier in hell when he said it. I yeah. thought it was great. And he was and he was absolutely right. And I finished my acceptance speech by saying, And you know what, Pete? You were right about these. Yeah. <laughs> well, those hands got the job done. Let's, let's be yeah. really honest here.
0: They did get the job done to a tune of 148 goals, 208 assists in the NHL, 356 points. So those hands had something in them. That was one season for Wayne Gretzky, by the yeah. way, it, it, it took me 11. <laughs> That's bananas, right? The fact that
1: the numbers that he put up, Um, who made the call to you, who let you know? Chuck Caton, who is mm-hmm. a retired broadcaster, longtime, uh, radio voice of the Hartford Whalers, and after that, the uh, Carolina Hurricanes. He uh, chairs the committee, the the six-man committee. Uh, they're all Hall of Famers that are on the committee, people like Sam Rosen, Doc Emrick. Um, so, so he made the call and he said, it's funny, he he left a voicemail because I couldn't pick up, and he said, call me, you know, call me as soon as you can. And I thought, "What? What? why would Chuck Hayden be calling me? Because I didn't know that he chaired the committee. I'd, I didn't study the hall of fame, different various committees. And uh, he said, I'm so thrilled to be able to make this call. He said, "Um, this is overdue. There were circumstances with COVID and with a a very well-known broadcaster passing away that they decided to honor. And he said, this should have happened a few years ago. And I wasn't keeping track of time, but he said, it's your time. Uh, the committee voted unanimously to, that, that, uh, that you're going into the hockey hall of fame. And Chuck was so excited to tell me, I can also tell you, Jason, that, uh, I guess it was a couple of hours after the original call that I got a call that made me as happy as the call about me going into the hall. And it was the call telling me that Al Morganti was going into the hall of yeah. fame. Al and I go back over 40 years when he was, um, you know, he's young, we were both young. I was playing for the Atlanta Flames and, and Al got a job working for the Atlanta Journal of Constitution covering the Flames. So, you know, we got to know each other then. I moved to Calgary with the team and he went to Philadelphia to write, with, with the uh, cover the flyers for the Inquirer. And then we, our, our careers really intersected. We worked on ESPN together and um, then we ended up working on on Comcast And NBC Sports Philadelphia covering Flyers, and I love Al. Um, He is a great human being, and I was so darn happy that Al was going in. So we got got a chance to, you know, stick around, hang out together a little bit in Toronto, and it was uh, it was I was really happy for Al. Very happy. Yeah, that's crazy
0: because you guys you do have that so much history with Al. Yeah, but people thought it was kind of
1: like somebody put the fix in for Philly. You know, like (laughs) it's about (laughs) time. (laughs) <laughs> well and you know what the committees are completely different al won the elmer ferguson award i won the foster hewitt award for broadcasting al won his award for writing yeah. for his long writing career um so the committees i don't even think the committees communicate with one another as to what they're doing so this is completely coincidental that uh that al and i with our philadelphia backgrounds both going in in the same year well could that
0: kind of uh synergy happen and uh You know, if the Flyers are in the NHL draft lottery to land a player like Connor Bedard, can we make that happen, Billy? (laughs) Ooh, (laughs) that would be
1: a good start because it's almost like there's a black cloud hanging over the Flyers. I mean, people say they're, they're, you know, they're no good. I said, look, you take your number one center out of the lineup and you're you're either one or 1A defenseman. That's what Ryan Ellis was supposed to be, Mm -hmm. a top two defenseman. He's played four games in two years, right? And Sean Couturier out of the lineup, you add those guys in. As, as healthy players, and I think we're we're talking about something completely different. Um, so that that black cloud with the injuries, just I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure it's going to be. I'm not sure it's going to be the Flyers' year to win the lottery, the draft lottery. But you know, th- I think the Flyers are overdue. Let us just yeah. not let it be Buffalo or Edmonton. Okay. Yeah. Right. Jeez. You know, like I mean, how many times can
0: you get it? Yeah. Enough really? already. Let's right. spread the wealth a little bit here. Yeah. Um, let me let me ask you. Go back a little bit. When, what was the, when's the first time you put on
1: skates? I was probably seven or eight. There was just a little frozen rink outside the tiny little English school that I went to. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't play organized hockey till I was 12. Yeah, that's Um, crazy. The English kids were not invited to, to participate and to try out for the, there were 2,800 people in our town um, and our town was famous before I started playing hockey, because Guy Lafleur grew up two blocks from me. And um, uh, I finally was some very progressive thinker, finally decided to allow the English kids to try out. And I made the team right away. And I remember people saying, where has he been? We could have, like Thurso Quebec finished second in the giant Quebec Pee Wee hockey tournament. and They lost to a, a mega team from Toronto. Because Fleur was like, I mean, he was as dynamic and as dominant as Wayne Gretzky was, as Mario Lemieux was. Um, and they said, we could have won it all if we'd had him. And I went, I've been here the whole time, guys. Yeah. So I, I I started playing organized hockey when I was 12. And by the time I was 15, I was big. I was six feet tall and weighed about 180 pounds. And I could really skate. And I got scouted by a Chicago Blackhawks scout and made uh, one of their junior teams in the Quebec League. So I was playing in the queue when I was 15. And it was only my my fourth season playing. So um I picked it up pretty quickly, I guess.
0: Yeah. Well, I imagine there was a lot of outdoor playing for you out there and just skating. Because your skating is, is your hallmark to your game. Yeah. And I imagine you just were out there from sun up to
1: sun down, dragging you off that ice. Yeah. The rink was, the school was only about a block and a half, small blocks. And my dad... You know, could whistle. I I've never been mm-hmm. able to whistle like really shrill, loud whistle. Yeah. I could have been on the other side of town, and when it was time to come in, um, I hear yeah, dad. special whistle. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the only thing that would take me off the ice, and and same with the other kids, is having our feet frozen. Yeah. You know, because it was damn cold on a lot of those uh, a lot of those rinks. And you know, my I'm, I I started playing a little bit uh, for for the little school that I was going to when I was eight or nine, but I was a goalie. No kidding. There's, no, there's nothing worse than standing around in sub-zero weather with, with only skates on. I remember being, oh, my feet being so cold. Yeah. But we, we would stay out there until we couldn't stand it. And then there was so much snow and, and it would get packed down on the on the roads. They wouldn't scrape it down to you know, to gravel or the pavement that once it got packed down, there were times where we could actually take our skates and skate on this pack down snow. And if not, not skate, we just played road hockey, you know, Man. on foot. We just played and played and played. It's really interesting. My brother was a good player, too. He's three and a half years younger than me. My brother Pete, to this day, had a, he had a better shot than I did. And he was a defenseman. And when he was he was playing for the Ottawa 67's junior B team and, and a guy, he sort of had this thing going with this other player on the other team. Guy took his stick with the, with the round part of the, the curved part of the blade from behind and he hit him like as hard as he could in the side of the face and knocked out five of his teeth and put a hole in his cheek and, and all of that stuff. And he, and go figure he, he lost the taste, you know, for the game at yeah. that stage. So he retired, Oof. but we would, sh- we would practice shooting on one another with pucks and balls and everything in our driveway. And we had this old shingled house that was kind of brittle, almost like asbestos shingles. The house was white on the outside with tar paper underneath. And my, well, we shot wide once in a while, wide of the garage door and just broke the house to bits. <laughs> in back, it almost looked like a, a war scene where somebody had shelled the house with all yeah. these black spots all over it. And I, my mom would come Come home, she go, Oh, boys, what have you done again? Look at my house. My poor mom, my dad said, When you turn 14, you're going to replace all of these. The day I turned 14, he brought home two big bundles of shingles and set them yep. down and said, Okay, you're 14, go for it. Get so to fixed, work. <laughs> yeah, I fixed, I fixed them all up. You guys were like
0: a demo crew.
1: Yeah, really.
0: <laughs> you're adding yeah. value to the house, though. You put new shingles on it. <laughs> um, <laughs> But the other ones
1: were all faded, so these white ones even stood out.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you had to darken them up a little bit with some puck hits. <laughs> um, you know, you didn't lose the the love of the game at any point, Bill, because you have a, a very long playing career and you jump right into Brock. Like, when did you know? Did you know early on as a player that broadcasting was going to be an angle that kept you around the game for a long period of time?
1: No, although I was offered a a job to be an analyst up in Canada when I retired uh, in Calgary, but the, the money wasn't really very good at all. And I ended up going into the restaurant franchising business. I acquired the rights for Georgia, Tennessee, and Alabama for a Canadian restaurant franchise. And the plan was gonna be open up my pilot store, my first store, and then sell franchises based on the great success of that store. Um, and my location, I knew the importance of location, but I hadn't factored in that Atlanta had more food and beverage establishments per capita than any city in North America. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I finally opened up a place and within a year I knew I was in trouble. So I ended up after my playing career, filing corporate and personal bankruptcy. I lost my home. My marriage fell apart. I had these bouts of depression. I was broke. I was scared. I was, uh, I had no job, no training, no college degree. And that's when I became a full-time actor. Cause while I was looking for a restaurant location, I thought, geez, I haven't had a paycheck in a year.
0: Yeah. What what
1: could I do that I might have an aptitude for that is financially rewarding, that might not be time consuming. That's everybody's dream job. And I thought, I think I might be able to do television commercials as well as some of the people that I see. So I, I got, um, I got a teammate's wife, Kurt Bennett. The Bennett brothers, there were five of them that played pro hockey. And Kurt's wife, Susan, was an actress and a singer, and she had agents in Atlanta. So I got her to introduce me to some agents, and they said, yeah, you look okay. Get a headshot. We'll send you on some auditions. So I'd actually done a couple of commercials while I was having the restaurant built, and it was the only logical thing to do. So I launched the acting career, and it went really well. Um, Yeah. Ended up moving to New York and pursuing it there. And the phone rang one day and it was ESPN saying, do you want to try out for one of our jobs as color analyst? And I said, you know, to myself, a steady paycheck would be a real good concept. Yeah. In my life. You have to audition for your lunch and your rent every week, unless you land a TV series, but that's one in 10,000. Um, and I, there were five of us, five ex-players. I said, what's the audition consist of? They said, a live game on the air. Oh my so goodness. That, that was my audition and I won the audition with ESPN and that, that basically launched my, uh, my broadcasting career in 1986. So there was a four-year lull in between where I went bankrupt where I, and where I launched an acting career that, that ended up doing pretty well. So there was a lot went on in those four years between the day I retired and the day that I got the job at ESPN.
0: I imagine that the acting and getting comfortable in front of a camera helped you on that audition
1: and eventually into your career. I, I think it probably did, but it was was not easy. Yeah. Um, you know, you want that adrenaline. When you're an athlete, especially a pro athlete, and, and you're about to enter the arena or take the ice, you really, you worry if that adrenaline flow isn't there, right? Yeah. So the, the problem with going into a, an audition, sitting there with this sterile thing called a camera, you know, that's looking at you is fighting the adrenaline And being able to channel it so that you don't appear to be overdosing with with that adrenaline and that was hard to to focus it and channel it and fake it like i learned how to fake looking natural you know in front of a camera and you know a lot of times in my career i still had to in the early going it got easier and easier but but yeah you're right the acting part um i i think helped me with my comfort level in front of a camera once I became a broadcaster and once right. I like the, the great thing about broadcasting is the sense of f- finality like once it's out of your mouth it's out yeah. right it's gone you can't take it back there's no seven second delay so I re- I really like that demand of live performing and the diff and I, you know I, I developed a speaking career as well and in many ways, the speeding career was easier than television because if you wanted to know how you were doing in front of an audience, it was easy. Just yeah. look at the faces in the audience yeah. and they'll tell you. Yep. And, you know, at first on TV, you finish doing something, you go, gosh, I hope that was okay. Hope they liked it. You know, hope the bosses, you know, thought it was okay. You sort of second guess yourself. But um, it, all, it all worked out in the long run, obviously, after that trip to Toronto, I figured I'd made it, you know, yeah. Once in the Hockey Hall of Fame. It means that I'm old and that I did pretty decent work for a long time. What the funny thing the Hall of Fame means to me?
0: Yeah, the funny thing about broadcasting is you're absolutely right. There is an adrenaline that goes with broadcasting too, just radio yeah. or whatever. And you've done radio shows. Yeah, and I've done I've done so many where I go, oh, that was great today. What a great show! And you walk back after the show's over, and you walk by the program director, and he pulls you and goes, "What the hell were you doing today? That was awful!" You're like, "Damn it." <laughs> you go, what the hell's going on? I thought that was good today. Like, where's my barometer? Yeah. Right. All pissed uh, off
1: at you. you have to ask the boss, could you define excellence for me, please? One more time. I don't think we're on the same page here. Yeah, it's, it's, but there is
0: that, there's an adrenaline that goes with it and there's a performance and, you know, as a competitor, you, you competed for so long. Yeah. You get into the broadcast booth, you don't take losses at home you don't take wins home but you just get to be around the game what did it mean you just to to still be involved in the game that meant so much to you and in a lot of ways here bill in hindsight especially it really lifted you out when you needed it the most after your playing career and you know the restaurant and everything
1: else right well it meant so much to know that to fu- to understand once i got rolling with my broadcasting career that that we really are the broadcasters are the conduit and the link between all of the thousands and thousands of fans and the teams that they're passionate about. And you have to take that pretty seriously if you're a broadcaster. One of the things that was hard for me to learn was to say something negative on the air because I, I was still a player and you don't badmouth another player, you know, you don't do that stuff. Uh, <clears throat> so there was a separation that had to happen and I had to get used to it. And I can, all, 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 I can tell you that doing national games in some ways was easier than doing Flyers games. Because I did Flyers games for a couple of years and went away, did more national, and uh, then came back to the Flyers. But on a national level... I didn't have an alliance or an allegiance or a tie to either one of the teams that I was broadcasting. And it was really easy to be objective and easy to be neutral. It's funny. When I do a flyers game on ESPN, I would get hate mail. Why are you always cheering against the flyers? Well, they, they were used to hearing, you know, a local Gene, the, Gene Hart and, and, and local broadcasters. And every local broadcaster sort of slants, leans to the home team Sure, and, I, I did that when I was doing Flyers games because I really cared about the team and I got to know the players. And in that sense, it was almost more difficult to do Flyers games for a Flyers broadcast than it was to do a national game where you weren't supposed to you were supposed to be neutral. And it's yeah. for me, it's easier to be neutral than to watch what you say. Uh, you know, calling the home team. Uh I, I love them both. I got to know the greatest thing is. I knew players on every team when I was working on ESPN, including Flyers players. You're around them. You get to know them. And I felt like I had relationships with so many players and so many teams. People said, who's your favorite team? That's hard. I, I, there are players that I know and like and respect on every team. And because of that, it was really hard to have a favorite when I was calling national games. Yeah. Um,
0: and you know that you know the home fan base can be a little sensitive, too. You know, oh,
1: every every town, every city. Philadelphia, yeah. yes. Philadelphia, yes. But yep. other cities too, no doubt. You know, New New York, see see New York in in, in parentheses. You know, yeah. New York can be tough too. Um, Billy, you know, one of the
0: things that I noticed in you know working around you, we never really worked together, but we worked around each other with the Flyers broadcast, and we would <clears throat> meet with the coaches pregame, uh, before games, and your preparation to me is something that always popped out. Um, You're very diligent in your preparation for the game um, and your angles. And you go in and want to be very educated on details of of a team, of a coach, a system, or whatever it might be. Right. And where did that come from? Because a lot of guys go in and they go, I'm just going to react to what I see, especially as an analyst. right? Right. But you, you have that ability, but you also, had the ability and work ethic
1: of very diligent prep where did that come from i'm a born planner Mm -hmm. uh it doesn't matter what i do i i drive my wife crazy a lot of times and other people you know if i'm i'm the president of our hoa here down in north carolina on the side of a mountain and uh I, i i try to lead with enthusiasm and and good attitude but i'm a planner And everybody knows that they don't have to worry of going into a project that it's not going to be, you know, kind of lined up. That's, that's just my nature. Um, I really believe in preparation. I tried to do that as a player, but there's also, there was a philosophical underpinning for how I prepared for a meeting with a player or, uh, or if I was going to the rink to the morning skate, I'd have questions lined up for the coaches, for the, for the different players that I hope to talk to. And I would seek out specific players but the, the, the philosophical underpinning of all of it was there has to be a good story to tell on the air. But even more than that, ask questions, the answers to which I'm able to see on the ice and tell people about, yeah. you know, whether it's the system. Like what, what can get you, and I'll ask a coach, what is one thing you want to want to avoid in a game against this type of team? What can get you into trouble against them? then i'm watching for it on the air so i've actually set myself up to describe things that i've already gathered information on that i can show people a visual of yeah you know and, and you then, know he's putting it into practice yeah right and then people say wow he's really good but i just that's just planning yeah you know it's just it's just preparing and when when you land on your feet like that uh, i think it helps enhance uh, at least the perceived level of expertise that you have but it's all totally yep. it's all pieced together you know what i mean
0: yep it, it i it i totally agree with you yeah and you can go in and say they want to avoid this in the neutral zone and then you see it happening or you see its prevention from happening right right You're yourself you're two steps ahead
1: now yep there it is this is what we talked about and when i worked at espn tom McNeely was our producer for years we would have a Bill Walsh list. Like Bill Walsh used to script the first five plays of the game when he coached, you know, in college and then in uh, the pros. And we would meet in the morning and do the Bill Walsh list. Who's the first player you want to see or what, what do you want to do first? Well, I want to talk about how what this team is going to try to do in this game. So give me a shot of the coach and then a shot of the bench, and that way I lay it out. And I call that planting the seeds. And I've tried to help young broadcasters like – get three or four seeds, five if you can, that you plant early in the game. And then you water the seeds, right? Yep. Hopefully see them grow. And, and then you pay them off as the game goes. And at the end, you might be able to put a nice bow on it and say, you know, we started the game by talking about this. And this is exactly what happened. Or it was not a factor at all.
0: Yep. You know what I it mean? It depends the result. <laughs> it,
1: it, exactly. Yeah. It's either this is what we talked about was going to be a factor. It was not a factor and they won anyway or they didn't win because it wasn't a factor you know it's yep. just like these you weave these threads through the telecast to me that's uh, i like to think of that that you you're prepared for a beginning and a middle and an end mm-hmm. of an event so that it all kind of works together by the time you finish it does that make any, does that make any sense it's the old radio adage tell them you're gonna do it do it well
0: tell them you did it
1: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly
0: <laughs> right You got to meet with so many coaches. We know about the personalities of NHL coaches, guys like Bruce Boudreaux or Roger Nielsen was just a fantastic human being. Yeah, You know, Peter LaViolette, all over the league, you met with Mike Keenan in the early 90s. You have some memorable coaching interactions in your pregame meetings with them? Oh, there's so many, and there's so many absolute beauties.
1: (laughs) yeah but you know the the ones that were difficult were the ones that didn't trust you you know mm-hmm. if 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 a coach is not confident in himself and at peace you know with his own you know persona and his scheme and everything they they're very closed most of them were not but a lot of the canadian coaches there was this canadian American bias you know i I'm, I'm, I'm dual citizen, but especially in Montreal you know French coaches say I mean Jean Perron, when he coached the Montreal Canadians he didn't want to tell you anything he didn't tell you just they would say <laughs> look I, I don't want this going on the air but this is what you know there are guys that are willing to go off the record with you you know a guy a guy that's having great success in uh New Jersey Lindy Ruff, I played against Lindy. I've known her for years. We were in Buffalo one time and, uh, the PR guy came out before we had a chance to talk to Lindy in the morning. He was in the coach's room and he says, um, you said something on the air about Lindy and he's really pissed off. He wants to see you. And, uh, I went, Hmm, I wonder what I said. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I go into the coach's room and the coach all sitting there and he looks at me and he just sort of stares at me with a stern face. And I said, uh, I Understand, uh, I said something that didn't sit well with you, and he stared at me and then he went, <laughs> He knew he was breaking your balls. Oh, yeah, <laughs> he was just putting me on. But there was also, uh, when uh, when Mark Messier went to the Rangers, when he first got to the Rangers, I think, I think Mike uh, Smith, not Mike Smith, Ron Smith was coaching, and uh. I said on a radio interview, I said, look, I, he got fired. And I said, if Mark Messier got him fired, then Mark Messier was only doing what he was brought to New York to do, to not stand for something if he knew they couldn't win the Stanley Cup with the guy. Yeah. Right? So I got a call and he said, uh, "He said, yeah, you said on the air that um, I should, should have been fired. I said, did, did you hear me say that? He said, no, but friends called me and told me. Oh, I always right. ask, did you hear that? Yeah. Right? He said, no. I explained, no, that's that's not how it went down, right? I said this, and you know, if Mark and believe me, Mark Messier made a lot of things happen that people don't know about. Mm-hmm. A lot of things happen, and I respect the hell out of him for that. That's what great leadership is. Great leadership doesn't sit in the corner and cower when things are bad. They make changes and look for solutions. The right? hard
0: decisions, Billy.
1: Yeah. It right sometimes
0: won't be popular and can earn you some enemies along the way too, but they're well, about winning.
1: You know, what I've told people, Jason, um, when I, when I would speak to groups about leadership and, and I haven't, I didn't use, I haven't used it for years, but when I started talking about leadership, one of the things I reminded people is true leadership can be lonely because yeah. when you stand up and say something that has to be said to a group, you're going to alienate a number of them. And the great thing about being a leader that can do that is it will all come back in time. Everything will normalize in time. But if you're willing to withstand that loneliness, when you've said some really strong things that have alienated people, you're going to be lonely for a while. That's just part of it. And it'll, it'll heal. And, it'll, it'll, and they'll end up, end up respecting you for saying what you said. Now, that's Mark Messier, man. That was Mark. You know yeah. Wayne in Edmonton a lot a lot of times, and Wayne has admitted this many times that that Wayne would have the message that he would want to deliver, and he let Mark deliver the message. Yeah, right. You
0: be the voice of the message.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. That's not my fault strong... You be the voice.
0: Yeah, you know sometimes players they don't want to hear the truth, so you become the, the the messenger becomes the enemy, not the message.
1: Yes. Exactly. That's the expression. Don't kill the messenger.
0: Yeah. Right. I'm just telling you what's real here, brother. Yeah. You stink tonight. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, as that leader, sometimes, you know, young players especially be able to look at it and go, ah, he's always so serious. This is supposed to be fun. Blah, blah, blah. We're playing pro hockey. We got this dough, all this money. And they don't want to hear it, but some guys are there not to play hockey. They're there to win.
1: (laughs) And that was mess. That was the only I said I'd interviewed him on before the game. Uh, after he'd won five Stanley Cups and he's in New York, and I said, What keeps you going? Like, I guess he was 40 by then. What keeps you going? Said, Winning, baby. So I want to win another one, yeah. And he ended up winning a sixth cup, you know, with the New York Rangers in '94.
0: That's a lot of
1: that's a lot of Stanley Cups, man.
0: Uh huh. That's yeah, you got a lot. That's a lot of weight on your hands when you're wearing all those rings. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I think he could still play today. I mean, he still looks fit as a fiddle. It's unbelievable. I like um, Mark. I love Mark. Yeah, such a competitor. Great, great player. Some In some ways, maybe overshadowed because of the just op, you know, insane numbers of Gretzky and Lemieux and, and those guys at that time. Yeah. Uh, let's go back to 94 because um, you're doing games at that time. It's my favorite hockey broadcast booth of all time. Yourself and Gary Thorne, Al on the glass uh, on many nights. Yeah, Um, But you've worked with some incredible play-by-play guys, Doc Emmerich, some of the best in in the history of the game. Uh, What was that time like with Gary Thorne, Noah, and why did you guys just mesh so beautifully on the air?
1: Well, we never pre-discussed anything before a game. So, Gary, I, I prided myself on being quick on my feet and being able to follow up on something that, that my partner says, and Gary was like that. Uh, so, I think our, the spontaneity of it, also Gary's voice and his call, oh, you know, was it just it. <laughs> just, gra- just grabs you and drags you through the screen, you know, right to the game. Perfection. Yeah. It was, uh, it was awesome. I mean, we, we, we had a, a down time together um and it was in ninety ninety three, 93 um yeah 93 um we were doing a game in st louis and gary called sergio meso sergio mimosa and i <laughs> said oh sounds like you're ready for a vacation let's you know let's let's go for the mimosas and uh you didn't say anything i said oh maybe you're thinking of mini mimosa because you do baseball too and uh we went to break, and I said something to him, and he said, "Maybe it's correcting your freaking your effing partner's mistakes on the air," and threw his headset down and stormed out of the booth. And it was, I was completely taken aback. And after the game, we were, went back to the hotel, and Gary was nowhere to be found. By our producer and our director, uh, they, you know, came into the bar and they said, "Our show's done." We're done. You guys will. You, this this is the worst thing that ever happened. I said no. I said it's not done. They said yeah. I said no, it's not done. They said what do you mean? I said leave this to me. It's not done. So we actually did another game, and Gary was very distant. And then we did a, a taped open on the ice in Pittsburgh at the old igloo. And I said to him when we were finished, I said, "Can I talk to you for a second? And he said, "Yeah." So we walked down this long hallway where the old nets are stored and i leaned up against the net and i said look i apologize i i would never ever try to embarrass my partner on the air i said and i and i'm sorry for that i i thought we were kind of like teammates in a locker room you know having fun with one another busting a little bit i said I know one thing that neither of us will be perceived to be the best at what we do, unless we're perceived to be the best team. And it's funny, Gary had trouble with some pronunciations and he said, well, you don't think I can hear you when you hit the talk back and talk to our producer and try and correct me when I'm saying something wrong. I said, wait a minute. I said, I'm doing that as a safety net. I, I said, is our producer not telling you in your ear, the proper pronunciation just so it doesn't happen again. He said, no, He never says anything i said i was doing that not to make fun of you i was doing that to try to help you like i would anytime you need help i'll never leave you stranded and i said i respect the heck out of you and i think we're the best team on the air and the best team that's ever existed in many ways so all i want to do is be the best partner i can be with you so if there's anything that ever happens wait till after the game and come and talk to me about it and I'll apologize and let you know that there was, it wasn't ill intended. And he, and he, and we shook hands and he said, I'm glad we cleared the air and our relationship after that was better than it ever was. And, You're um, You were teammates now. Pardon? Yeah. You were teammates now. Team- went teammates. to a different he level. Trusted, he trusted true. my yeah. motivation. Yeah. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, he thought, well, people in the truck are making fun of me now. I said, "You're not getting the message." He said, "No, he never tells me." I said, "Oh my God!" Said that explains a lot. So this was building, building, building with Gary, and he never said anything about it. But I respect the hell out of him. My gosh, he's the brightest. He's the brightest guy. The greatest call. um, The greatest laugh. We our humor was always just spontaneous, genuine. You guys cut
0: the tension at times with that.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. But that was a short little snippet of our seven years Mm -hmm. together. You know yeah. or six years together doc and i worked for seven years together and doc was brand new to television he'd done play-by-play on radio and i was kind of new to it as well in 1987. so doc and i mesh to this day doc is one of my favorite people on the planet but so is jim jackson so is jiggs mcdonald i did three years with Jigs mcdonald yeah. on the sports channel america he sent me a congratulatory uh text you know when i was up in toronto I it's funny I said in my acceptance speech you know my my name is the only one on the crystal plaque with my picture on it that goes up in the hockey hall of fame and for people on the outside looking in it's easy to look at this as an individual award I said it isn't I, said, I didn't get here by myself nobody gets into the hall of fame by themselves play-by-play partners that greats Uh, the producers, the directors, the camera people, the stage managers, everybody has a piece of somebody getting into the hockey hall of fame family, right? You're on the road in the playoffs for two solid months. So it's, it's a team award that one person gets singled out for, but it's not an individual award. I've never looked at it that way and never will. Yeah. You're absolutely, that's so well said. And what a story that is about
0: Gary. That's amazing. And, yeah. The way you attacked it, Billy, you know, like, I'm not doing this to make you look bad. I'm doing this to help. And once he n- noticed your sincerity, that you were there to be a great teammate of his, that changed everything. And that and that can take that to the next level. And you got to, on the air, you better have trust in that guy next to you. I've been, on, I've done radio shows with guys I didn't trust. You know, yeah. tell me, uh, don't even worry about that. Well, I'm worried about that. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Don't, right. don't minimize my worry, you know. Right. Um, and when you don't trust that person that you're working across from and you're out there to everybody and exposed,
1: it's a hard thing. It's a really hard thing. Well, Jason, I want to tell you something. I consider that, and I wrote about it in my book. One of the most difficult things for people in any walk of life, sports or otherwise, is having the tough conversation. Mm-hmm. My favorite book on leadership is called *The Servant Leader* by James Autry, and I was reading it just a couple of years ago. And in one page, he and I've all, I've always thought it's so hard for people to have what I call the tough conversation. That was a tough conversation I had with Gary, but I was committed to it. Um, but this guy James Autry said, in any any business, any walk of life, ma- the toughest thing for management to do is to have that tough conversation it's easy to say hey jim we hired you you're doing a great job keep it up the greatest shortcoming of people in leadership positions management positions is to go to somebody and say you know what jim you're not doing what we expected tell me why that's the tough conversation but you know who i learned the tough conversation who i watched have tough conversations was bobby clark Mm -hmm. as a 23 year old as a 24-year-old, as a 25-year-old, he uh, he was able to have the very demanding, tough conversations. He was Clarky was afraid of nothing when he played. How how
0: did he have that ability at that age to be a leader at 23 years of age and be able to go to guys much older than you? Yeah, uh, you know, guys that have been in the league a long time, accomplished a great deal. That takes. Stones big enough to carry in a dump truck at 23 yeah. years of age. Yep,
1: yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with the hatred of losing. Yeah. When I got traded to to uh, Washington after right after our second cup, I mean the draft was I don't know 17 days after we won our second cup, and the Flyers wanted Washington's number one pick overall, so I was part of the deal that went to Washington. Thank that summer I was that, on right? The, uh, on the chicken potatoes and peas circuit with the president of our team, Peter O'Malley, driving me around and. And he was driving along one day on the beltway in Washington. And he says, you know what? We want to build this Washington team, this Capitals team with guys like you, Flyers, guys that just love to win. And driving along, it just hit me. And I looked at him and said, Peter, can I tell you something? He said, yeah, what? I said, I think you should build a team with guys that hate to lose because everybody loves to win, but not everybody hates to lose. And uh, that was Bobby Clark. Clarkey hate had such a hatred for losing that I think it was part of the impetus that pushed him forward to say the tough things and have the tough conversations. Same with Mark Messier; they hated losing, hated, hated, hated. You know, you don't win Stanley Cups unless you've got at least a significant percentage of players that hate to lose.
0: Yeah, there's a joy in winning, but the hate to lose can be even more pronounced yeah. than. You know, you get the win, you go, okay, we got the win. That's what we were supposed to do. Yeah. But if I lose, I, it just, it just infects you in a way. Chris yeah. Pronger was that way, wasn't he?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Prongs was like that. Prongs was like that, but almost to the point where he took it too far on the ice sometimes. He was Like, like in, in, in two different years, uh, when, once when he was playing in uh, St. Louis in the playoffs, he blatantly elbowed Tomas Holmstrom in the head and got suspended for a game. And then when he was playing in in Anaheim, you're in the Stanley cup finals against Ottawa and he cheap shot at Dean McCammon and knocked him out with an elbow and got suspended for another game. So there were, there were times when like, I don't know, the message didn't get there in time from the brain to the elbows. Uh, so it's great to be that fierce competitor, but there were times when I thought, uh, Chris Pronger's hatred for losing might have might have got, you know, I mean it could have jeopardized the whole the whole series, the whole you Stanley Cup. To find a way to control it a little bit too exactly. to make yourself
0: as effective and available because yeah. the only thing that matters and it doesn't matter how good you are in sports if you're not available. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um do you see any when you look at the league today? Um do you see some of those great leaders in the game today? You know, the way it was back then because the game is different now. They're all friends they're all in the pa together yeah Um, they have a common goal in that regard of growing hrr so it is a different it is a different ball game now uh but do you still see some of
1: those great leaders of sport in the nhl well i see one um and it's always more beneficial if your best leader is one of your best players. Yeah. Right. Cause there are third and fourth line guys that are great leaders, but it, they don't have a chance to let that leadership skill manifest itself on the ice as much as a, as a great player. <clears throat> the guy that, um, that I really, really admire is Steven Stamkos down in oh, Tampa. Yeah. Um, he answers the call after a significant loss. He will address the media um, he is re- highly respected in the room. He's had two ACL reconstructions and it's, I think he's got nine goals and he might've had more. I haven't paid attention for a couple of days, but Steven Stamkos is highly, highly respected in that Tampa locker room and is able to say that, you know, the things that need to be said at the right time. And, and one of the keys to having that tough conversation is not screaming at people or raising your voice. It's it's saying what has to be said in a very committed way and then showing everybody presence is the cornerstone of leadership you better if you say we have to do this you better go and walk the talk because they're they're not going to buy it right yeah. unless you're actually out there leading the way doing what you suggested to everybody has to be done and that's the way steven stamkos says. yeah that's he's i mean the guy scored 60 in a season
0: the he one was- year he it comes back and plays the the two shifts in the game and gets a goal. But the next year he comes back for the second cup and was unbelievable. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, he's battled
1: easy to like an easy guy to like. Yeah.
0: Um, let's wrap up on this bill. Last question for you, because you spent some time with him over the years. Speaking of a guy that'll tell you how he feels. There's a coach here in Philadelphia by the name of John Tortorella. And I don't think he's ever held back a feeling in the world. Um, but he brings a ton of accountability that is daily. It does never, it never has a day off accountability with him and a standard and a way of playing. And, you know, he believes that, you know, working hard, that's no feather in your cap. You're supposed to do that. You don't get points yeah. for working hard. Uh, what do you think of torts as the man to kind of lead the flyers back and rediscover a little bit of their DNA and their identity? He's the right guy.
1: Um... The Flyers got young and kind of got soft um, and needed to be shown a different way to play. The one thing about Torch that I love is that he he believes that that he's right. Or he believes in his philosophical approach. He believes in, in, in his notions of what has to be done. He believes in blocking shots. He believes all of that, and he believes that's how you win. And he's proven He's a proven winner. Now for some players, he's going to be really difficult because they've cheated their whole careers. You know, maybe maybe when the puck goes the other way, you're supposed to be back checking like that. I'm just going to delay. It looks like we may have a turnover and I could get fed for a breakaway. That just, he boils inside when he sees stuff like that. So there's no shortcutting. There's no cheating under John Tortorella and he's really demanding But here's the best. I'll I'll give you the the best thing and the worst thing about John Tortorella. The best thing is he's really demanding and hard on his players, but he's fair. Mm. He doesn't ask them to do anything. that He doesn't truly believe you have to do to win. And he wants everybody to do it. That's that's that seems fair to me. And you talk about a leader being willing to withstand some loneliness after alienating yourself right to certain players and certain top players depending on what he does but that's what he does and he should be commended for his leadership skills and his belief in his own his his own philosophy about how the game should should be played the it's not a, a bad thing or a shortcoming it's just that when you're that intense and you demand that much at some point, look, every coach has an expiration date tattooed right on their forehead, right? They can't see it, but it's there yeah. Almo- almost to like with rare exception. And in hockey, it's uh, what is it? A three year, two and a half years.
0: What, how much? The average right now is about two and a half years.
1: There you go. It's about yeah. two and a half to three years. He's had so, long
0: stints though, Billy. It's weird. Seven in Tampa, six in New York, six in Columbus.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, because he gets results Mm -hmm. right and his team's arc yeah yep he he is he's gonna have that expiration date and he's he's hard on players um so he's gonna move on like everybody but i i would have loved to play for torts because i was a workaholic i i worked hard i i you know just that's one thing. The only two things that anybody could have accused me of that really would have been hurtful for me was A, that I wasn't a good team player, and B, that I didn't work hard. If You could call me anything you wanted. You, you, could, you could say that I was gutless. You could say that I was intimidated by certain guys on other teams. I'd go, yeah, yeah, in certain situations, I'm, I'm going to fess up on that one. But if you say, you know, you don't work very hard, I'd go, you're wrong, and you're not a good team guy, you're wrong uh so and those uh, things are controllable aren't they yeah absolutely and that's what 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 torts wants right is for guys to control what they can control Control, and that's why he wanted them in such great shape and look they got out of the blocks well uh but at some point the other teams kind of catch up conditioning wise and you end up scratching your head um it's good to see carter Hart back i know that yeah um it's it's hard it's a hard league look Look at the Metropolitan Division, Chase. Yeah, it's a damn hard division and a really hard league to play in. So uh, that's why uh, the Devils fans wanted Lindy Ruff gone after two weeks of the season. Yeah, they're chanting, right? "Sorry, Lindy." <laughs> well, yeah, well, well, yeah, sorry, Lindy. they awesome. twelve in a row now. Yeah, they're just unbelievable. That's 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 incredible, and Lindy. Is we used to joke about Lindy because we'd say uh, he's Lindy on the road and rough at home. A rough on the road. Lindy at home, rough on the road. <laughs> no, no. Oh, rough at home. Lindy on the road, rough at home. He didn't play Ruff. rough on the road. Yeah. He just played rough at home. <laughs> <laughs> he was a great guy, though. Really good man. There's so many good people. That, the best thing about our sport, you know, I said this in Toronto, too. It's authentic. Mm. Real people. Genuine people, and uh, that—that's what makes it such a great sport to be associated with, for and have the privilege. You know, I left home at 15 to play the game that I love. It wasn't a sport then; it was a game. And uh, to be able to remain associated with it all the way up, except for that little, you know, the three or four-year period in between, and be able to go into the Hall of Fame, the Hockey Hall of Fame. And you know, I'd never really been into the new Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto. Oh, and beautiful. we all went, there were 17 of us on a Sunday a week ago, last Sunday and toured the hall. And uh, gosh, there are some great displays there going into the, they have, the, the, they have a room set up like the, the great Montreal, Montreal Canadiens teams. team's locker room with their there's yeah. all hanging there. And Patrick oh. was pads. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. I
0: freaked out. I had a meltdown in there. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it? Isn't it great? It's the old Montreal forum locker room. You know, re, redone, and it well, is. We, I, I
1: was telling the group that I was with. Oof. My nephews were good players. They both played college hockey, and uh, but I said, look, look at the record of the Canadians after the after the Flyers won, and uh, we won seventy four, seventy five, and Montreal went in their run. I think it was nineteen seventy eight. They lost eight games. Oh my God! Eight freaking games in one season. That's all they lost. And I went, Whew. no wonder they kept winning. Yikes! Yeah.
0: You know, it's amazing, Bill, because the Flyers win the back-to-back Cups that you're a part of in 74 and 75. Flyers go back to the Cup Final. I haven't found a comparable in any sport. They go back to the Cup Final in 76, and uh, they get swept. You're not on that team. They get swept by Montreal, and they win four straight Cups. In 1980, they go back. They take on the New York Islanders. The Islanders win their first of four straight Cups. They go in 85 and 87. They lose to Edmonton, who win five Cups in seven years. Mm-hmm. They go back in '97, lose to Detroit, who wins three cups in five years. They go back in 2010, they lose to Chicago, who wins three cups in five years. I have not found a comparable in any sport of a team that's gotten to a finals and faced a dynasty that won a cup in the their first cup of that dynasty,
1: in in any sport. No comparable, not even close. It's yeah, unbelievable. you're right, huh? Yeah, Pete. It was funny. It's easy to fit. It's easy to forget the teams that finished second. Mm-hmm. Right. Or the teams that teams that lose to the champions. But when you start putting it on a grid like that and evaluating excellence, it, it should count for something. Right. 15 cups of those opponents. Wow. It's
0: in that in that window of that those specific teams. It's sure. unbelievable. Yeah, no unbelievable. doubt. Well, Bill, uh, let me uh, be the next one and certainly not the final one to offer you massive congratulations. So well deserved to head into the Hockey Hall of Fame. We're thrilled for you. We're thrilled that you worked in this market for so long and we got to experience you on a national level and on a local level. So congratulations. Enjoy this. Keep the chainsaw going up there in the mountains, splitting that wood, keeping the heat on. And uh, this was a great conversation. And the biggest thing I'm going to take away from it is the stuff that you had to say about leadership because I think that's so important as, you know, people that listen to this and watch this, this show you know, their bosses and their leaders and teams and sports and all that stuff. And at work, and you said so much that people can take out of it. So thanks for doing this as always. And and stay well.
1: Pleasure, Jason. Um, anytime, man, all I have to do is put my chainsaw down and walk into my office and crank this machine up in front of me, known as a laptop. And we can do this anytime you want. It's Uh, always a pleasure, man. Always a pleasure.
0: There he is. Bill Clement. And, uh, That is our interview of the year, man. He was just fun to talk to, man. What a great conversation. I love talking to Bill about his experiences and that stuff about, you know, going through the depression and out of the game and the restaurant, the kind of coming to a head with Gary Thorne. I mean, what we, no clue, no clue. I had no clue about any of that. Fantastic. So thanks to Bill. Congrats again. And uh, that was our interview of the year 2022. We'll be back Monday with another brand new episode, kickoff 2023 in style, and uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Let me tell you about bet parks because it's a fantastic time of year with all the bowl games, uh, college uh, football. You've got pro football heading towards the playoffs, which is a great time to bet. Futures, uh, live in-game betting, same-game parlays, you name it, player performances, props, teasers. It's all there for you, and it's all simple to use. And simple to navigate on the Bet Parks app. So grab it today. It is a, an awesome casino and sports book app. It travels with you in the palm of your hand. And take it from me, it's everything you've wanted in a mobile casino and sports book. So download the Bet Parks app today. Maybe you have it downloaded, but you just haven't gotten in the action in a while. Well, I'm here to remind you that's a lot of fun. Get back in, get back in on the action. All new and existing users can use the promo code Jason750 to get your risk free bet up to $750. And, uh, you know, it's uh, terms and conditions apply again to an existing users, Jason seven, five, zero. So get it, download the app today, get back on the, on the wagon and get uh, your action in with the bet parks app and the mobile casino. Do you need to be over 21 in present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Everybody thanks for a great year on bet parks present stick to hockey live. Enjoy your new year, stay safe. And uh, we will talk to you coming up. Can you believe it? 2023. Remember Y2K? That feels like an eternity. Well, we'll talk to you coming up on Mondays. We kick off a new calendar year right here on Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Have a great weekend, everybody. What's to